You are listening to the GMO Truth, straight out of the Walk a Mile Project, brought to you by nonprofit film company Change the World Films. Tune in here to discover the truth and change the world together. Hello, everyone. This is Eric Battersby, and welcome back to the GMO Truth. This is episode number 10, our first podcast of 2017, and things are getting crazy really fast here this year, so I will jump right in as quickly as possible. First, we're starting to premiere our podcast on location on a regular basis going forward, and here for 2017, we're starting things off at the Cutting Board Restaurant in Mesa, Arizona, and then the next night we'll be showing it at the Pomegranate Cafe in Phoenix. Shout out to both those places for the support. Big thanks to Sean and Crystal at the Cutting Board and Cassie over at Pomegranate. 2017 is a crucial year for the GMO controversy, and having this kind of support helps us get the word out, which, as you're going to see over the next few podcasts, is of the utmost importance right now. Second, GMO Truth number 11 coming up next is easily our most important podcast yet. Once again, we'll be filming interviews on location just like we did for GMO Truth number 5, with some footage that will undoubtedly make it into the feature film. We'll be premiering episode 11 in downtown Phoenix at the Talking Stick Resort Arena as part of our annual event, which also includes the Suns-Lakers game. We're calling it the GMO Truth premiere event, go figure, and it's in partnership with the Phoenix Suns and the Healy River Boys and Girls Club as well, so it's a pretty big endeavor. In fact, it's a huge event for us, and in addition to being a fundraiser for our 2017 core budget, we're also looking to get 30 tickets donated so we can bring 30 boys and girls from the Healy River Reservation to the game. Uh, and I'm volunteering and partnering with Healy River to start up and run a small film program for their Boys and Girls Club this year, which I'm super excited about. Working with Native Americans in Arizona is something I've wanted to do for a long, long time, and this is just the perfect moment to bring everything together. If you want to attend or donate or volunteer for the event, I put a link up on screen. You can attend the premiere in person if you live in Phoenix. You can volunteer to help us sell 50-50 raffle tickets at the Suns Laker game that night. Now, that, that's the main fundraiser part of it. Or if you live somewhere else in the world, you can simply buy one or two tickets and designate them for the kids of Gila River to help us get them out to see their favorite sport in person, and that's 100% tax deductible. It will really be a special night, and the footage we're premiering that night is absolutely monumental. I couldn't overstate that if I tried. It will very likely shape the future of things to come as we, as we work to resolve the GMO controversy over the next year or so. Okay, hopefully that wasn't too long. Let's jump right into the episode here now. GMO Truth number 10, and it's a big surprise. Monsanto decided to come to the Tucson area and build a facility down there, essentially in the town of Marana, although technically the land is unincorporated. And it's just a bit north of Tucson, so it's between Tucson and Phoenix. I guess Monsanto thought it would be a good idea to come to my backyard here so I could get them on camera. Thank you, Monsanto. Very much appreciate that. If you've watched other documentaries about GMOs or, or even ones that just touch on GMOs, you already know that Monsanto is not a big fan of appearing in films. So this was actually a, a gift for the documentary in a way because it gave us rare public access to Monsanto uh, and on multiple occasions. One quick note, I, I literally found out about Monsanto being in Tucson while I was stuck on a flight delay trying to get back home to Phoenix shortly after the new year. While I was waiting on my flight, I caught a note about Monsanto being in Tucson uh, just out of the corner of my eye on, on Facebook. And otherwise, I wouldn't even have known about it. And that drastically altered the course of my next several weeks, it turned out, and it included several trips to Tucson, filming these hearings on my own. I mention this because we're not talking movie quality here, we're talking podcast quality. So please keep that in mind when you're watching these clips. I only had on-camera audio, which is not what you want, and I was one person trying to operate two cameras. So just know this is not what one of our standard documentary shoots looks like. It's what it looks like when I drop everything on my schedule, load up all the equipment, and drive two hours to Tucson to go film solo. 
The documentary itself will look amazing, although of course we may have small spots in there where we use some of this footage, but that will be an exception. Okay, so here's the deal. Back in 2016, Monsanto started looking for land in Pima County, Arizona to build a new research facility. And the big question, of course, from everyone here in Arizona is, why Tucson? Why are you specifically picking this region? There were two clear reasons that quickly surfaced. Number one, Tucson's climate offers a chance to grow things year-round with much less hassle from the elements. It's warm weather most of the time, with mild winter basically for the rest, and it makes it an ideal candidate for a greenhouse, which is what Monsanto says they're focusing on right now. There's also speculation that it will serve as a much closer-to-home testing ground for growing crops in Africa, which could be a huge boon to the company over time if GMO crops were to actually take hold over there. They're only grown in a few countries over there right now. Africa has about 60% dry lands and deserts, and the American Southwest is probably the closest Monsanto can get domestically to replicating that environment. I'm actually surprised it hasn't been talked about more, but knowing Monsanto as well as I do, I'd be shocked if using it as a testing ground for Africa wasn't part of the plan, but you know, time will certainly tell on that. That is by no means a fact at this point, so please keep that in mind. Reason number two for the greenhouse being here in AZ, with Arizona being neighbor to Mexico, that gives Monsanto the chance to apply for a foreign trade zone designation, or FTZ for short. A foreign trade zone needs to be uh, in, in or adjacent to a U.S. port of entry state, which of course means there are FTZs in a lot of states, so it's not like we're special there. So purposefully selecting Tucson for an FTZ probably wasn't a huge difference for Monsanto, but by applying for the FTZ designation like they did, they stand to receive a pretty hefty tax break if they are indeed granted the status. Now this two-pronged opportunity for the better growing conditions of, of Southern Arizona and the FTZ designation also presented two specific problems for Monsanto. Number one, there are a lot of people making it known that they don't want Monsanto in their neck of the woods. If you've been following the GMO Truth podcast for a while, you know Monsanto's reputation often precedes them, and for a unique community like the Tucson area in particular, it's a difficult sell. Number two, it's a really difficult sell when, in addition to setting up shop where you're not really wanted, you then seek a giant tax break. So, as you can imagine, since these tax break efforts started back in November, it's been a pretty tense stretch down in Tucson, which you'll easily pick up on in some of the footage here. So today I'm going to take you through some of the key moments in the public hearings of, of which I have several hours recorded. And a majority of it is tense. It's filled with people asking some tough questions to Monsanto. And, and some of the questions were pretty out there at times too. Monsanto certainly has a point that they get hit with all kinds of far out claims because someone goes to a not so honest website and then throws all kinds of unsubstantiated crazy out there. That stuff really takes away from the effort to resolve the GMO controversy, unfortunately. So just know... Monsanto certainly does deal with a tinfoil hat contingent, there's no doubt about that, and at times if you were at these hearings, you might even have felt sorry for Amanda here and there because of it. But look, truth is, that sympathy wouldn't last for long because the problem with Monsanto, and part of what feeds into all that craziness in the first place, is that they have a really hard time just being completely open, honest, and upfront. It's a problem that has plagued the company for well on its way to 100 years now, they, they can't do it. And if they had done it with GMOs from the start, you probably wouldn't be listening to this podcast right now. And if they had done it with PCBs and Agent Orange, who knows how many lives would have been saved, how many lives would have been different if Monsanto could just tell the truth from the start and truly be open about what they're doing. Now, in this case here in Arizona, with a bunch of upset or concerned residents looking for answers, Monsanto needed to do it. With their history, they, they need to make sure they always put themselves into situations where everything they're doing is clearly, openly, unequivocally on the up and up. As you'll see in a few minutes here, that just seems like an impossibility for them. And understand, I'm not, I'm not out on some random witch hunt here drinking the conspiracy theory Kool-Aid when it comes to Monsanto. We started this project by going back to the beginning with GMOs. 
which meant digging deep into Monsanto because they started GMOs commercially. So I've dug through official document after official document, and all that research is up on our website and an earlier podcast. It's clear that this company, in many ways, is the GMO controversy. And if we're not keeping an eye on what's happening here, then we're not doing our jobs. So please don't take offense or feel like this is an affrontery to Monsanto. We're simply looking for the truth. And if you want to see what led us to this exact point, then please check out early episodes of the GMO Truth Podcast, and I'm sure it will become clear pretty quickly. All right, before we dive into the potential shenanigans going on here in the AZ, let's take a look at an abbreviated version of Monsanto's presentation on the actual greenhouse they want to build, which I've edited together here for brevity's sake. This is what they presented publicly at all the Pima County hearings, and here is Monsanto's project lead, Amanda McLaren, speaking. So when we think about Monsanto and sustainability, we really have three core pillars. That's people, planet, and company. Our commitment in people is to really be good partners in the communities that we operate in, which is one of the reasons that we're here tonight and we're engaging in this dialogue with you. Our commitment in the planet is to deliver products that help our, our customers be more sustainable. We're also doing things like developing monarch butterfly habitats and committing to be health research. In our company pillar, we're focused on making sure that our people are safe, that we're doing all the right things from a human rights perspective, and that our operations internally are as sustainable as possible as well. So I mentioned that, that I stay at Monsanto because I really care about what we're doing for growers, and this is what this project is all about. The greenhouse project is actually going to allow us to deliver better products faster to our grower customers. And it's going to allow us to do that more sustainably. So if we think about the greenhouse, we're going to be building a state-of-the-art automation facility that will allow us to grow the, the corn plants in pots. And it, it's probably a little hard to see due to the, how crowded the room is, but we've got an example of what corn looks like in a pot down below. Corn really grows well in a pot. We're going to be able to put these pots on movable benches and we're going to be able to use integrated automation to move those benches around the facility. That allows us to really dial in on those growth characteristics that the corn cares about. It also allows us to maximize the space in our greenhouse facility. It, it also allows us to move the corn to the people when the corn needs to interact with the people. And one of the things that we're really going to be doing the most in the greenhouse is something called crossing. So I wanted to just take a moment and walk through what that is. If you look at the slide, you can see an example of an individual, and I think uh, my pointer isn't working, I apologize, so we'll go left to right. We see a man in a greenhouse, and he's standing next to corn that's just been crossed. You can see a brown paper bag on the corn. So I'm going to take a few steps back and talk about how we got to that place where that, that paper bag is on the corn. It starts with a tassel which is in this middle photo. You can see the tassel, and I'm just going to step over. I apologize, I'll be in front of the slide for a moment. This is the tassel on the corn plant, and this is what we call a shoot. So when we cross corn, we take pollen from that tassel, and we place it on the shoot. That shoot is what develops into the ear, which is what you can see on that final, final picture. After we performed that, that exercise, we place this bag over the corn, over that developing shoot to make sure pollen from no other plants get in. It's really just the, the pollen that we've targeted. And this is, in essence, 
this crossing exercise. So the vast majority of what goes on in the greenhouse will be plants on benches growing happily, plants on benches moving to people for them to perform this crossing activity. The greenhouse facility also has a significant impact on the sustainability of our operations. So what we'll be able to achieve in this greenhouse, in seven acres of greenhouse, is equivalent to about 190 acres in the field. So that's an over 90% reduction in the amount of land that we need to use to deliver this part of our production operation. Okay, important note to this really quick. Monsanto was taking what would need 190 acres and moving it on to just seven, conserving land for a more sustainable future. Of course, on the other hand, they just bought a tract of land that's 155 acres to supposedly use only seven. <laughs> so that leaves 148 acres unused and much more on that later. But if you do the math here, they really just saved 35 acres of land by building the greenhouse on this specific property. Okay then, go Monsanto. Back to the video. Finally, I mentioned before, this, this greenhouse actually reduces the amount of water that we would use in the comparable field operations by 80%. But more excitingly, it's nearly all of the water used will be part of a water recapture and recycling system. So an 80% reduction, and on top of that, nearly all of it will be reused. Again, contributing to this idea that we're investing in more sustainable, state-of-the-art operations. Finally, I just wanted to take a minute to talk a little bit about some of the community engagement and partnerships that we've had <laughs> in other places where we work, and Hawaii is one example. I've had the great privilege of visiting some of our Hawaii operations and interacting with some of our community partners there. We've got a lot of programs really focused on education activities with students in schools, as well as gardens that have been developed that bring in those beneficial insects and also bring in those native plants. And so this is now an active part of our operations to plant these native plant pollinator habitats in between our fields in Hawaii that help make our operations more sustainable. And it's really a great success story that the, that the team has there after interacting with the community and learning more about the concerns there. So Monsanto wants to build that greenhouse and they want to use it for developing new corn varieties with multiple forms of genetic manipulations. Some will be GMOs, some won't. Now one important note, this greenhouse concept isn't to replace or even cut into the practice of growing crops on open land. It's just a way for Monsanto to use less land for their own product development and at the same time to expedite that product development as well. So we're not talking about directly feeding the world with Monsanto's new robot greenhouses here. They're not looking to replace outdoor growing. And, and part of that may simply be that greenhouse growing when done properly can result in very little pesticide use and let's be honest, we all know how Monsanto makes a lot of their money. Okay, now that you have an idea of what this is supposedly all about and where Monsanto is coming from, let's take a look at some of the core concerns voiced by citizens at these hearings. And the biggest one for me is, is this question. You're building a seven acre greenhouse on 155 acres of land. What are you going to do with the other 148 acres? Why would you buy 155 acres if you're only going to use seven? And here's the responses we were given. What can we expect from you, and can we expect transparency? <laughs> I wouldn't be here tonight if I wasn't interested in, in being transparent. And again, I appreciate the opportunity to come and talk with you all. Right now, we're 100% focused on the greenhouse. The parcel of land that we purchased and the size of the parcel of land that we purchased was what the owner wanted to sell to us. So in order to purchase the land that we need for the greenhouse, and the appropriate water rights, 
we purchased the parcel of land that was available. Okay, why would you spend more money on something you didn't need? If you didn't need the 148 acres, why would you spend all the, money, the millions of dollars on it then? The, the land itself is, um, I would say, a rather modest investment in terms of the overall project. That's nice, but let's take a closer look at the facts we'd previously been given. According to Western Farm Press back in October, Monsanto Corporation plans to build a seven-acre underglass greenhouse corn research facility in southern Arizona, which will house GMO corn breeding and trait integration that combines genetic and biotech traits. Monsanto has purchased 155 acres of farmland near Marana, where the 30-foot-tall greenhouse will be housed along with ancillary facilities and traditional ground production. Let me say that again. The 30-foot-tall greenhouse will be housed along with ancillary facilities and traditional ground production. It's highly unlikely that Western Farm Press is making that up themselves. The phrase, with ancillary facilities and traditional ground production, most likely came directly from Monsanto. So back in mid-October 2016, it sure looks like Monsanto was openly speaking about traditional ground production on the property. Fast forward to these January 2017 hearings, however, and here's their take on it now. What about corn? You have corn in there, so would you be planting corn out in that 150-some acres you have left over? Well, a lot of farmers keep telling me that corn doesn't grow very well here. In fact, one of them told me yesterday that he saw some gro corn growing and he stopped to take a picture of it. Um, so I, I don't have um, a lot of understanding of, of the how, how well corn performs yet, but um, you know, we're, we're, we're just focusing on the greenhouse right now. Here on one hand, Amanda is saying that she's committed to transparency. Then a second later, she says, right now, we're 100% focused on the greenhouse. The woman didn't ask her what Monsanto was focused on right now. She asked specifically, what are you going to do with the other 148 acres? What do you plan to do with that other land? She didn't ask what you're focused on right now. And of course, Monsanto had conversations about what to do with the other 95% of the land <laughs> that doesn't hold this first greenhouse. If they were truly interested in transparency, when they're commenting on where things stand right now, they would have mentioned their initial attentions that they obviously released to the farm press a few months prior. It really isn't that difficult to just be open and honest unless you're just trying to manipulate the situation in your favor and hide things. And there's actually more to this than meets the eye in another way because the land purchase itself raises some serious questions. Monsanto paid $3.74 million for that 155-acre parcel of land that was valued at significantly less than they paid. I'd love to see what it would have listed for in the open market because other similar properties are listed for much less, typically in the $1 million to $2.8 million range at the very maximum. That basically puts this land purchased at at least a $1 million premium over what you'd expect Monsanto to have paid for it, which of course raises a few eyebrows and makes you wonder who they bought the land from. Well, it turns out they bought it from a company owned by Herb Kai. And Herb is a wealthy landowner in the Tucson area who just happens to serve on the Marana Town Council. Yes, Marana is the town most affected by Monsanto's purchase. In fact, the property is very close to the Marana High School. But the big question is, how does it make Monsanto look when they overpay for land to the tune of seven figures to a city councilman? And what makes you question it even more is this. Parcel of land that we purchased and the size of the parcel of land that we purchased was what the owner wanted to sell to us. So in order to purchase the land that we needed for the greenhouse and the appropriate water rights, we purchased the parcel of land that was available. 
That would be a great response if Monsanto was looking to purchase land in a densely populated area where land was at a premium. Pima County, however, is a desert. There is land everywhere, and certainly enough of it for sale. So for Monsanto to insinuate that they needed to overpay by at least a million dollars, that's pretty difficult to swallow. And of course, anyone's going to wonder, were they just trying to grease the wheels for the FTZ designation and the tax break? Look, here's the Talor farm site in Marana up for sale right now. It's 153 acres with water rights, almost exactly the same size of a land parcel, and it lists for $1.85 million. Yes, that's half price versus what Monsanto paid Herb Kai's company. And if what Amanda was saying is true, that they didn't need the 155 acres, then why buy it? There are significantly smaller land plots available for much less money. So something doesn't add up here. And again, that has everyone questioning Monsanto's openness and honesty right out of the gate, exactly what they absolutely cannot afford to do anymore if they sincerely want to improve their reputation. Okay, the next concerns we'll touch on. Multiple people were worried about farmers being sued if their crops are inadvertently contaminated with GMOs. Will that happen in Tucson? Well, the truth is, Monsanto isn't involved in that many lawsuits in the grand scheme of things, but again, even right here at these hearings, they couldn't be honest about it. And this is the one time that I actually interjected and corrected them on their misrepresentation of facts. The vast majority of, of farmers are respectful of patent law and follow that patent law. Sometimes there are a few exceptions of those who don't. And in those cases, in, 100, in 147 cases over 20 years, we, we have filed suit against, against farmers. That's in contrast to the 300,000 farmers annually in the U.S. that purchase seed. So it's really a small percentage, and I want to stress that because the vast majority of farmers comply with the law. In the interest of full disclosure, sorry to interrupt you, I just want to put this out there. There are actually over 700 cases that were resolved out of court that you keep leaving off when you reference those farmer numbers. So I just want, and I know you're, the company's aware, but I'm not sure if you are, but I just wanted to make sure that's disclosed <clears throat> to the room. Okay, so, so what happens when there's a claim that... Um... So is it a chance that farmers will be sued in Tucson? Probably not, although I certainly don't know enough on that to say for sure. Is there a chance that Monsanto will lie publicly about how many farmers they've gone after? <laughs> yeah, you just saw it happen. Another frequently mentioned concern was the pesticide use, particularly with glyphosate being flagged about two years ago now as a probable human carcinogen by the International Agency for Research on Cancer, or IARC, which is part of the World Health Organization. And, and the question is, will glyphosate be used in the greenhouse? Also tied into that, Hawaii has had incidents where schools have been closed from pesticide drift, making students and faculty sick. Will there be an issue with the facility being so close to the Marana High School? One quick note, Monsanto referred to the parcel they bought as vacant land, but as you'll see this woman point out at the beginning, that wasn't the case. I didn't dig to see if there, there was a reason why they might not want that publicly known, unless they just assumed it would, it would cause more alarm if, if it looked like they were buying land to farm, since they say they're not doing that on, on those other 148 acres. But the correction was certainly noted here by everyone. I wanted to say that the a comment that you made about the land being vacant before it being sold is inaccurate. It's actually being farmed um, by my father. Um, we also are a farming family. There's four generations of us um, that have lived in Neighbor Valley and farmed. And I'm also a graduate student at the U of A. And in learning research methodology, um, it's been very troublesome to try and sift out through the evidence what's um, unbiased and what is lacking conflict of interest. And so I think that is 
part of the dilemma that um, as scientists and consumers that we're trying to sort out what is trustable and what is um, accurate. Um, and my biggest concern, it relates to the proximity to the high school. Um, I have two children that attend there. And from my research and some of the peer-reviewed articles that I found, there is growing body of evidence that um, talks about neurotoxicity. And during um, adolescence, there's a very critical period of brain growth called pruning. And perhaps you're familiar with, you know, the um, brain starts to remove um, the paths between the neurons that are no longer needed. And alteration in this pruning can um, cause individuals to exhibit um, mental illness, such as schizophrenia. So my concern is the use of Roundup, which you know has all of the other inner chemicals that are part of the formulary that do not need to be disclosed. Um, you know that Roundup is indeed more toxic than just the glyphosate itself. And my concern is you know related to my children and the other 2,000 students there that you know being exposed or being in close proximity to not just this greenhouse but whatever develops in the future there um, is something I'm really concerned and I'm, I'm hoping we'll be able to get more transparency and more information going forward. A few other key questions that were brought up. Will any of the potential environmental problems be exacerbated here versus other climates because of our dust storms or the floodplains? Monsanto has left plenty of messes in its wake before, including PCBs, which, which are still being sued for today, and Agent Orange. So what happens if history repeats itself? Will Pima County be left footing the bill? And then with Monsanto's checkered past, why should Pima County even consider giving a tax break to them in light of the questionable ethics in their history? Obviously, we can't cover everything or this podcast would be four hours, but let's look at two final questions. People frequently brought up Tucson's late 2015 UNESCO designation as a capital of gastronomy, as, as Tucson is the only city in the U.S. to receive that honor. This article from Smithsonian.com helps explain why Tucson received the designation, and it's actually a quote from Jonathan Mabry, a historic preservation officer for the city of Tucson. There's so much innovation in all parts of our food system, including sustainable agriculture and ranching, plus the development of an innovative urban agriculture scene. So th those were some of the key reasons he, he figured they were given the designation. And it can be a big bonus for your city's tourism to receive that kind of designation, and, and residents were concerned that it, it would be taken away if Monsanto moved in, and especially if it opened the floodgates to make Tucson a biotech testing ground. Now this person's comments touch on the concerns about open field trials, that's what would most likely affect this, and, and it also sums up a lot of what we've already talked about, while shedding a little extra light on things as well. I want to play this for you because Monsanto actually interjects on the public statement segment of the hearing, where they weren't supposed to speak, and, and gives a reply that's pretty noteworthy. Oh, and on a comical note, th this footage comes from the first hearing, and Monsanto brought big models of the greenhouse to all five hearings, but at this one, which was at a library, the venue was so small that they couldn't fit the greenhouse inside the building, so they left it out on the patio. Take a listen. I think it's a little bit of an irony that your greenhouse doesn't fit here. <laughs> um, I will say uh, that uh, in Western Farm Pest Magazine, um, Mr. Kai, who you purchased the land from, mentioned the fact that the seeds uh, in the germoplasm from that will be used in field trials in Maria. Um, and that's really concerning uh, for me as a resident in District 1 here, and who's been a businessman in Marana for close to 30 years. Uh, the location of that to the high school, um, 
uh, really no clarity with regard to the other 146 acres that are taking place. Uh, if in fact those field trials do take place, and we are looking at uh, you know uh, new chemicals that are being involved, maybe Roundup, Extends, uh, which is I guess your new products, from what I understand, in your corn tech pipeline brochure. Um, you know, it's a real major concern for the people of, of this area, uh, for the children and their children going forward, just based on the past history of Monsanto and John. And, you know, to have you come here is really, uh, is a problem, and a potential problem. Um, in that same article, Dr. G. Michelli, who runs the Center for Agricultural Control, mentioned in there, um, that the 6,000 square feet of the corn that they were growing, Monsanto GMO corn, in that facility was the precursor to buying of the Morana site, 155 acres from Mr. Cog. Um, he called it the advanced guard for that purchase, which was very strange terminology. Um, you know, he also mentioned Monsanto as a client in that. So, um, it sounds like there was some kind of payment form that was done in that based upon the quotation directly from him in that article. Again, that's a concern because it doesn't seem like we're hearing that here. And transparency is key to start off on a good foot if there is any foot to start off on. Uh, you know, obviously there's history here that's being that's happened with Monsanto and it's it's not, you know, just in Tucson. It's worldwide and it's it's plentiful. In the state of Washington, for instance, uh, with their what could be a billion-dollar lawsuit against you for PCB contamination all the way through 1979, and here we are in 2017, and that's still an issue with regard to the cleanup, health, environment, waterways. Um, you know, taking past history and applying it to current situations are are a big problem, and that's really a big concern. Thank you for your time. Thank you. I appreciate your perspective. Um, you're right that Monsanto's reputation isn't always very positive. And that's a large part of the, the, really the battle that we face today, which is, I believe, we're doing a really great thing for farmers and helping them be more sustainable. But our reputation and the misinformation out there really precedes that. I appreciate you still being willing to, to engage in a, in a conversation. I want to clarify a couple of the points that you made. Um, we have leased space from the university, leased greenhouse space. It's a, it's a straight up service agreement, like you lease a storage facility, only obviously it's a lot more expensive when you're leasing a greenhouse. Um, we've leased space to do, to do experiments to understand how corn grows here in, in this specific environment. Um, I'm, I'm not familiar with Mr. Kai's comments. Um, he's not a spokesperson for Monsanto. He might be, um, you know, he might have some conjecture um, based on his own personal opinion, but, but we have no plans to test corn please, please in us. Arizona. Okay, final two questions. This one was, how will Monsanto guarantee damages you've caused to humans via GMOs, essentially, will not happen here in Pima County? I think the, the, best, the best answer I can, I can provide today is that GMO technology has been studied for over 30 years. 
and thousands of scientists around the world have been very clear about its safety. Some of those very credible institutes that have described the safety include the Agriculture and Food Arm of the United Nations, the World Health Organization, and the American Medical Association. The technology is approved for use for cultivation, that's the um, approval to grow it, in 70 countries globally. And it's approved for import, that means the grain can enter the country and be used for any purpose in many more countries than that, including the European Union. Does that answer your question? And with that, I'll leave the last question here to a pretty courageous young man I met at the final public hearing. Let's listen. So honestly, your own opinion, do you think GM crops are safe for all human beings, all human being consumption? I'm a scientist and a mom. In fact, my kids are a little bit younger than you. So I am really active at, at looking at the science, and I really care about the health of my family, just like you care about the health of yours. And my belief, based on the body of data that I've seen, and of course we learn more every day as a scientist, and I hope you become one because you've got a great active mind, is that the overwhelming body of data says that GM crops are safe. Well, I have this picture right here. This is a picture of me when I was younger, after ingesting GM crops into my body. This is me. Does that look, you know, natural for humans just to be covered head to toe in a rash? Could you show the rest Burning, itchy. Thank you, sir. It's natural? Thank you, sir. Thank you. We have to move on to the next question. Thank you. That's a very powerful segment, and as, as we move forward here full steam ahead in 2017, investigating the supposed science behind all these safety claims and couple that with talking to actual people who have reported serious health issues traced directly to GMO food consumption, that's going to lead the way in our mission here over the next year or so, which as you know is to resolve the GMO controversy. And look, this really brings it full circle for the Walk a Mile Project because that's what it's about. It's about walking a mile in another person's shoes to gain perspective. And if we have person after person experiencing health problems from GMO food ingestion, and that's being ignored because there have never been any human studies, then we need to walk a mile in as many people's shoes as it takes to get to the bottom of what the heck is going on here. But for now, it's time to start wrapping up. The last thing to cover is what you can do about Monsanto and Tucson if that's something you're interested in getting involved in. But the narrative has changed drastically right as I've been finalizing the podcast here, to be honest. Initially, you could have called the Pima County Board of Supervisors to voice your displeasure or, or approval of Monsanto and the FTZ proposal and tax break. But on February 15th, the news came over that Monsanto is, per a statement from Amanda McLaren, whom you just watched, withdrawing the foreign trade zone proposal and moving forward with several commitments to the area. The Board of Supervisors' vote on that FTZ proposal and tax break was scheduled for Tuesday, February 21st. So um, perhaps Monsanto found out that three of the five supervisors were voting against them and, and they just thought better of, of trying to ram the FTZ designation through without county support. Who knows? I don't, I don't have any facts for you on that. For now, all I can really tell you to do to take action is, is to keep paying attention to the news coming out of Tucson. And obviously, we'll most definitely keep an eye on the situation here at the Walk a Mile Project. So make sure you're on our email list and keep staying tuned to the GMO truth. Monsanto is basically in my backyard now. So believe me, I'll be paying attention. 
All right, everyone, that wraps up GMO Truth number 10. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back in March, actually, with the biggest GMO Truth to date. So make sure you don't miss it. You've been listening to the Walk a Mile Project's GMO Truth Podcast. To stay up to date on new podcasts or learn more and join in on our GMO investigation and upcoming feature film, head over to walkamileproject.com and sign up for free anytime, 24-7. And that is how we discover the truth and change the world together. So dance when you walk through that door.